and welcome back to Evidence-Based Eating. This is episode two, The Biochemistry of Hunger, and I'm Shay, your host. I wanted to start our journey through this biochemistry of nutrition with getting into what is hunger and why do we have it? Because we don't have the ability to photosynthesize energy like plants, we have to eat to survive. And our brains, they have a lot of things to think about every day. And so in order to ensure that we continue to feed our body food, we have lots of redundant systems that make us hungry. Hunger is an experience that comes from a complex network of neurological and endocrine signaling, meaning our automatic brain, the part of the brain that we can't control, and our body communicate with hormones, our endocrine system. And that communication is then interpreted by our conscious brain as hunger or thirst or fatigue. This communication system in our body is guided by the interplay of our genetics and our environment. Our environment is more than the environment that we would think of such as the location we live. It also includes the stress in our lives, our sleep patterns, the food that we eat, the air that we breathe, the water we drink. It's everything we interact with. And one of the primary drivers for our feeling of hunger comes from our blood sugar and our gastrointestinal transit time, which is a fancy way of saying how quickly food leaves your stomach. And this is because our brain uses glucose, what we know as sugar, for energy. If we get too low in our blood sugar, we start to feel really bad. And if the sugar in our blood is too high, we also don't feel great. And it's not so great in the long term for our body. One of the ways our body regulates how much sugar is in our blood is through converting sugar into storable substances like glycogen and triglycerides. These substances then get stored in our fat, muscle, and organs. Our liver can store glycogen and convert it to glucose quickly, and that's how we can sleep overnight without needing a snack. Our body can turn the fat and protein we eat into sugar as well, and I'll get into more detail about this in the fat and protein episodes, But the takeaway here is that your body has many ways to get what it needs out of what you eat. And one of the things it really needs every day is enough sugar to keep your brain happy, but not too much sugar to hurt your body in the long term. We are constantly in between utilizing and replenishing our fat and glycogen stores. Our body has a reflex system of hormone communication to control our blood sugar telling us to eat to replenish our blood sugar and glycogen stores, and telling us when we're full, when our blood and glycogen stores are full. The hormones insulin and glucagon are hormones that react to our blood sugar, meaning they are independent of our brain. Insulin takes takes sugar from our blood and takes it to our cells, and glucagon goes to our cells and tells them to release sugar and fatty acids back into the blood. These hormones are released by our pancreas, which is an organ in your abdomen, and that organ produces hormones and enzymes that respond to what you eat. This system is complicated by other hormones, which come from our fat cells, such as leptin, or ghrelin and somatostatin from our stomach, or neuropeptide Y from our brain. And there's no quiz at the end of this episode. You do not need to memorize these hormones. I just want to mention all these hormones' names because they're being talked about in pop culture, and I want you to be able to associate them with accurate information. These hormones are actively being studied because of how important they are to our hunger signals. For example, NIH has funded many studies demonstrating that gastric bypass is able to eliminate ghrelin, 
secreting cells from our stomach. And this is one of the reasons why the gastric sleeve operation is so effective at controlling hunger in patients. For all of us life hackers out there, I don't yet have any recommendations on how an individual can modulate these neuroendocrine hormone signals at home. There is data that looks at effects of different substances we intake, such as caffeine on hunger. But even though there are short-term impacts on hunger with caffeine, there is an adaptive response, meaning that over time, the benefit of hunger suppression with caffeine is lost because our body adapts to the intervention. So there's no sustained and lasting effort meaning it's not a permanent change in our hormones. One reason I wanted to start with hunger was because in addition to being foundational to nutrition, many fad diets try to capitalize on eliminating or reducing hunger. And I want to take a moment to address this because there's really no easy way out of hunger. Fiber and water are great at helping us feel full, but again, that's an adaptive response. Most diets focus on highly restrictive recommendations, which are not sustainable. Highly restrictive diets prevent us from responding to habituated eating versus hunger driving our intake. And this is the success that that diet is creating a deficit, but when it fails to, um, when the restrictive nature of that diet it overcomes the transient value, then we all fall off the wagon. Hunger can be habituated. And this is called the motivational state of hunger. When we are driven to eat by habit, it's through sensory input, cravings and smells or convenience. Um, these are not actual physiological demands. Many studies have looked at what triggers us to confuse organic hunger, which means hunger coming from our actual need for food with our habituated or sensory eating stimuli meaning the habit or the thing that we interact with that stimulates hunger for us. There's currently no consen consensus on how to extinguish unnecessary hunger. There have been many studies looking at meal frequency and specific diets effect on hunger. Everything from five meals per day to intermittent fasting or the vegan diet versus Atkins. I mention these because this is one of those situations where our recommendations are for three meals and two snacks a day because that data has the most convincing evidence which supports that more frequent meals suppress ghrelin, that pesky hormone in our stomach that makes us really ravenous if we go too long between meals. However, there's data out there to support intermittent fasting as well, and this is where we can see how nutrition research can appear to have so many contradictions, but in reality, it's not that there's contradictions, it's that we're all individuals, so five meals a day might work for one person and intermittent fasting might work for another. I'd recommend that if you're going to try a different meal frequency that you talk with your doctor or your registered dietitian about what might work best for you. On the website, I'm linking to all these different studies that support both um, five meals a day or intermittent fasting and gives you really uh, detailed information about why we came to those recommendations. I also want to mention that there's um, part of the individuality aspect is a battle of the sexes a little bit. There's diets that are more successful in men versus women. For example, the Mediterranean diet 
uh, led to greater improvements in dietary intakes in men versus women, and that contributed to metabolic changes that were improvements from the baseline in men, but also because the metabolic profile originally found in those men at the start of the study was worse than women. So these studies, um, they try and get groups that are equal and composed of uh, participants that are as similar as possible, but because the men in these studies had worse baseline health and they responded better to the Mediterranean diet, they had a more meaningful improvement than the women did, which doesn't mean the Mediterranean diet is not good for women. It's a great diet for women. Um, it's a great diet for men as well. But this data just demonstrates how individuals respond differently to diets. And it's important to recognize that physiological hunger is a basic drive to meet our calorie demand, and that through the incorporation of a well-balanced diet with plenty of fiber and water and fruits and vegetables and good sources of protein and carbohydrates and fats, the majority of people will feel full and appropriately hungry at the right frequency and the right duration to meet their metabolic needs. In situations where hunger is beyond adequate diet and exercise interventions, it's appropriate to talk to your physician about further evaluation. I sort of want to end on some other components that affect our hunger, like our behavior feedback loops, meaning that we can feel hungry based on environmental cues that are completely separate from our internal system. So just like any other habit loop, hunger can have powerful relationships with our everyday activity. So we wake up in the morning and if we eat breakfast every time after we wake up, then we'll wake up and eat breakfast regardless of whether or not we actually feel hungry. And hunger is complicated by fatigue because fatigue is usually associated with low energy states. Our mental and physical fatigue are evolutionarily associated in our brain. And so we can feel just as hungry from mental fatigue as we would from you know, some physical fatigue. And this is why when people have very exhausting jobs or high stress lives, they might feel a lot of hunger. And that's a difficult one to overcome because it's disproportional to our actual calorie need. And it's also distressing and um, there's limited amount of time to create interventions. If you're working really hard and you have a high stress life, it's difficult to change everything you're eating and exercise and incorporate de-stressing activities. So if you're in that situation, I highly recommend picking very small manageable changes one at a time that you can incorporate so that you can work on decreasing your stress um, in addition to reflecting on the diet changes and the exercise changes that you would want to make in the long term. I have on the website some great uh, links to good articles that go into more depth about hunger if you're interested. And the big takeaway here is to be patient with yourself, to reflect on why you are feeling hunger when you feel hunger, if it's true hunger or if it is behavioral or stress hunger, 
emotional hunger. Um, in addition to that, if you actually feel true hunger, you have now a basis of why you actually feel that way and what's going on in your body and what your body actually wants from you. And as we get further into these episodes, you'll get more information on the components of our food and how to integrate those components into the choices you make every day. So that's it for this episode. I hope you are staying healthy and being well. Continue to be kind and always enjoy your meal.